Afternoon, Church. As Kofi said earlier, we're in our last uh, session of our uh, Foundation Summer Series today. Um, as he said, I think I'd agree it's been a blessing and very refreshing to get back into the uh, some of the fundamentals of our faith, things we probably um, neglect to, cheers, Rob, that we probably neglect to uh, consider as much as we probably should. Um, I know that's certainly the case for me sometimes, and uh, so our final session, as Kofi introduced earlier, is going to be on God's will and guidance. Um, nice easy one to, uh, to be studying and preparing for this one. But um, you know, we're going to have a look at what God's will is for our lives as believers and how we can find out what his will is for us and ultimately how we can follow his will, which is where the, his guidance comes into it. Um, so there's two sort of key elements of God's will which I want to look at. First one being, the two being his sovereign will and what we call his revealed will. And they're going to look first at God's sovereign will. Um, so if you consider what God's sovereign will is, I think it's important to start by having a look at what does it mean to be sovereign. Um, if God has a sovereign will, it must mean that he is sovereign. But what does that actually mean? Um, so to be sovereign is to sort of possess a supreme or you know, the supreme or the highest power over something. And um, God possesses sovereignty over the entire creation, which is only right. He is our creator. He created all things. And he is the only one that has the claim to rule over all things and all created things, which he created and he sustains. Ultimately, he has the right to do what he wants with his creation. Um, uh, first Timothy 6, 15-16 gives a great description of God. It says, The blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in, in, in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be the honor and everlasting power. Amen. So the word potentate is essentially the same sort of word for sovereign, really. Um, and I like the fact in these verses here we have three three descriptions for God that sort of underline his ultimate rule and sovereignty over us. We've got, I've gone looking a bit at the uh, Greek root words here, we've got potentate, which in the Greek is dunastis, which is to be, of all great, to be of great authority or to be mighty. You've got king, which is basileus, which is to be sovereign or a leader. And then you've got lord, which is kurios, which is to be supreme in authority. So, and Significantly, Paul writes only here. So, you know, God is the only one who has this authority, who has this sovereignty and this supremacy over all things. But what does that mean in practice, that God is sovereign? You know, it means he's, he's the ruler over all things, he's in charge of all things, and there's absolutely nothing that happens that he's not in control of, ultimately. And that's known as God's providence or divine providence. And that's not always an easy thing to really comprehend and think about, seeing all the evil things that go on around the world. You know, it's a question that often gets asked of believers is, you know, how can such a loving God allow you know, evil things to happen in the world? And, uh, but that's when we've got to remember this very significant fact. While God is in control of all things, he isn't the cause of all things. But we do know that sin exists in the world, and that is the cause of of the evil we see around the world. God, God can't be the, the author of sin, of evil, sorry. He's completely pure and completely holy. And we read that in 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, however, you know, as we said, sin exists in the world and um, and is the cause of much evil. And, and God will sometimes allow evil and sinful things to happen if ultimately contri- contribute towards his sovereign will and his purposes. And you know, the death of Jesus is a perfect example of this. You know, he allowed you know, the evil hearts of the Pharisees and the religious leaders to plot his death and conspire against him. He allowed the sinful actions of Judas to betray him into the hands of the Pharisees. And he allowed the sinful hearts of the Jewish people to choose to save the evil murderer of Barabbas over Jesus and send Jesus to the cross. And he even allowed the wicked actions of the Roman soldiers who gleefully beat and did all sorts of Jesus and nailed him to the cross to suffer horrendous, agonizing death for our sakes. You know, God allowed those things to happen for his greater will and purposes. And, you know, we know Jesus did nothing outside of the will of God. It says in John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that's Jesus speaking there. So, you know, if these things I just mentioned happened when Jesus was in full and perfect obedience to the Father, then these things must have been allowed to happen by the Father to accomplish his will. And in this case, his will was to bring hope and salvation to the lost and to all mankind through his son's death and resurrection. Um, And we will often struggle to understand and comprehend a lot of the things that go on around us and the things that even happen to ourselves. But we've got to trust in God's providence and and his sovereignty and trust that that's taking place in our lives and... uh, and that his will will ultimately be for our benefit, our spiritual benefit. And I'd say there are two very well-known verses that um, should help us trust God, regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in. And that's the first one, probably the most famous verse of all from the Bible, is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. You know, he's not talking to the physical world outside, but us. You know, his creation is his children. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, you know, if he loves us so much to do that for us, then why would his will involve anything that's not for our ultimate benefit? You know, even, even if at times, though, that, you know, his chastisement, his discipline, his punishment, not punishment, but his, his chastisement for, for our spiritual good, ultimately. And those things will be difficult at times, but just as any loving parent disciplines their children, God sometimes has to discipline us, but it is for our ultimate benefit. And the other verse, of a well-known verse that we should com- uh, contemplate on in these times is Romans 8, 28, which is, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you know, Anyone who professes to be a born-again believer in Jesus must love God. And that's who is being talked about here. And we see that God, in his grace and mercy, has called us to be reconciled to him through his son. And so this verse is telling us that all things work together for good for us, for those who love God. And we have to trust that this is the case. That the God who loves us and has called us is, and is in control of all things is ultimately working things for our good, even when it's difficult to maybe understand at the time those circumstances. But... I do find the benefit of hindsight is always a wonderful thing. And looking back at those circumstances we didn't necessarily understand or 
you know, comprehend why would the Lord let me go through these things. You look back and you know, months, years later, and you can see his hand in everything, exactly why we were going through those things and, and for our good. And, you know, it is difficult. I mean, it is easy to start getting frustrated and to start getting bitter towards God at times when, when we are struggling with things and when we think, we maybe think we know better or think things should be different. But as well as encouraging you to reflect on Romans 8.28 in those times, I'd also uh, consider Isaiah 55.8-9, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, these verses in Isaiah are a great way to consider God's, God's sovereign will, really. We're not always going to understand, we're not meant to understand all of God's plans and his methods for executing his sovereign will. It's just beyond our limited understanding and comprehension. Um, you know, in fact, his sovereign will is often referred to as his hidden will because it's hidden from us typically until it maybe takes place and then we see we see it unfolding but um as frustrating as that can be you know we do have to you know cling on to what his word tells us about trusting him that we're to trust that he's in full control of all things we're to trust that he loves us and we're to trust that he acts for the good of those who love him and who he loves ultimately and we also need to remember who God is, especially in comparison to us. We sometimes think we know best and uh, we're all knowing. But um, no, that's, oh, that's reserved for God alone. You know, he's omnipotent, which is all-powerful. You know, there's no limit to his power. And he's omniscient, which is all-knowing. There's no limit to his knowledge. And, and he's omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. And there's no limit to what he sees. There's not, there isn't anything that he doesn't see. So we need to remember those things when we are struggling to comprehend what's going on around us. You know, we're not always going to, but we we are called to, uh, to salvation by a God who does know all things and is in control of all things. And ultimately, there isn't anything that's ever happened in the past and there isn't anything that will ever happen in the future that will frustrate God's sovereign will and prevent it from taking place. You know, People may try to frustrate God's will. You know, I was reading something the other week that uh, they're trying to well, man have always tried to do it to try and um, make ourselves immortal, everlasting life. You know, stop, you know it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just not as hard as they try. And they'll try and frustrate God's will, but you know, freeze themselves into all sorts. But um, unfortunately, not. But um, and the enemy will certainly try and frustrate God's will as well. But ultimately, God's plans will come to pass. His sovereign will will come to pass. And then moving on to the second element that I want to look at of God's will is his revealed will. Now, is it, you know, as it's called there, revealed will, obviously that's what he has revealed. You know, his plans for the world, his plans for unbelievers, his plans for believers, and you know, each individual person to an extent. And where is this revealed? It's, well, it's in, in our Bibles, in his word. It's in the complete canon of scripture. And, you know, I could really just end the sermon here to be honest because if you want to know what god's will is for your life and for and for mankind just open your bibles and take and read it's everything you need to know is in there i'm not going to tell you anything new that's not already written in there but um you know not only do we all have access to god's word to this revealed his will for us but we also have the holy spirit indwelling us to help us understand god's word 
And so really there's no excuse for the believer not knowing and understanding God's will for their lives and how God has called them to live. You know, some of the things I mentioned there, this fallen world, you know, his will for that, for our world now is clearly laid out in the Bible. You know, some things that he prophesied had come to pass, like Jesus' first coming and his death and his resurrection, you know, provide us with a saviour and forgiveness of sin. But yet a lot of the things he's revealed to come are still to come. They haven't come to pass yet. You know, you've got Jesus' second coming, his return in glory has yet to pass. You've got the ultimate end to things where Satan and evil and sin will all be destroyed. This world will um, will be, uh, you know, will come to pass, will, God will destroy this world as well and create a new heavens and new earth. And as uh, and as born-again believers, we will dwell with him in eternity in the new heaven and new earth. You know, those things are revealed. You know, we find a lot of it in the book of Revelation. And, you know, I think thing, you know, some of these truths have been revealed to us, really, to give us hope and joy that, you know, this life, this world that we live in, and these bodies that constantly cause us pain and grief and fail us aren't all we have to look forward to. There's something much more glorious and greater to look forward to. And, you know, we have that revealed to us, which should give us hope and should give us joy. Um, you know, in God's sovereign will, we don't necessarily know when these things will come to pass or exactly how they come to pass. But God has declared in his word they will happen and God cannot lie. So we do know one thing for sure is that they will take place. They will come to pass. You know, and his will for unbelievers is also revealed. You know, if Unless they acknowledge their sin, acknowledge their need for a saviour and accept and recognise Jesus as, their own, as the only way to that salvation and forgiveness of sin, then sadly they face an eternal separation from God. Bible tells us in hell to pay the price for the sin their sin if they reject Christ it's it's a, it's a harsh truth but John 14:6 says that Jesus said that I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you know and, and that's not what God wants for anyone to be separated from him for all eternity but the bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and you know, if anyone is not ready to or doesn't want to accept the death of Jesus for their sins, a death that's already paid the price for their sin, then sadly they have to pay that price themselves. You know, ultimately God is perfect and holy, and it's not possible for anyone who's still guilty of their sin to dwell with him for eternity. It's just, uh, you, know, and, you know, by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, it doesn't change who we are as in we're still sinners but we're no longer found guilty of our sin that's the difference and therefore we are reconciled to god and we will be able to dwell with him for all eternity in glory and what a wonderful truth that is i know the main part really is you know looking at god's will that he's revealed and provided for us for believers you know this is his revealed will and in Psalm 32, 8, God said to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. You know, we can see all throughout the Bible from the first page to the last. We read through it so many ways that God has chose to um, reveal his will to his, uh, to his people throughout history. You know, in the Old Testament, God would often speak, the Old Testament times, I should say, God would often speak to men he chose to be leaders and prophets. He'd speak directly to them. You know, Thus says the Lord, you'll read often in the Old Testament, as uh, men are proclaiming the word of God that's been directly revealed to them. 
you know, an example of this is when God appeared to Moses, you know, in the burning bush, and he literally spoke his will to Moses. He said, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You know, God was clearly revealing his will there to Moses. Um, and also after that, when, when God did de deliver the Israelites from Egypt and in, in the wilderness, um, you know, he revealed his will and guidance to them uh, through speaking the Ten Commandments to them, through Moses and, and, the, and the law. Um, so God clearly revealed his will in that way to, the, to his people at that time. And, you know, and a bit later on in history, God revealed himself through his son, Jesus, you know, and through the teachings of Jesus and the perfect example of how to live that we see from him, as well as obviously dying on the cross for our sins. But you know, in terms of how he lived and his example, his love for others, his compassion for others, that reveals God's will for us to an extent, because we're called to, to be like Christ and to you know, follow his example in how we live. And in the days of the early church, you know, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, but before the New Testament had been written and completed, you know, God used various means to communicate his will. He, uh, you know, take the example of Peter in Acts 10. I won't go through all the detail. You can go and read it for yourselves. But, you know, God used a combination of uh, giving Peter a vision and then the Holy Spirit directly spoke instructions to Peter. And then God used an angel to bring a message to Peter and all these things God was using to reveal his will to Peter, that the gospel wasn't just to be um, preached to Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that was the message that God was revealing to Peter, that Peter was, you know, his will for Peter was to preach also to the Gentiles. And God used those means to, to reveal that to Peter. And, you know, God now, even today, he can still use any means he, he wants to uh, reveal his will to us and to speak to us, but... You know, he no longer needs to use any other method. You know, he's revealed all that we need to know through his, through the Bible, through his word. You know, his word tells us what's required of someone to reconcile themselves to him, as I've talked about earlier. You know, to repent of your sins, to submit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And his word tells us how he expects us to live, that we're to strive for righteousness and holiness. First Peter 1, 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And that's quite a clear revelation of God's will of how we're meant to live there. Be holy, for I am holy. And the Bible also lays out many practical instructions for how we are and how we aren't to live. And we'll look at that a bit more, some specific verses and guidance that God has revealed a bit later on. Um, but first, I just wanted to look at a couple of particular verses relating to seeking God's will. Uh, first being Proverbs 19.21. You know, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. You know, ultimately, our plans, our own desires, they don't matter unless they 
align with the will of God. You know, he may allow us to make wrong choices and go down the wrong path, you know, and things that don't necessarily align to his will. But if he does so, that'll be for a purpose, typically a purpose of teaching us a usually a harsh lesson um, and valuable lessons to discipline us and correct us and bring us back to to um, to the relationship with him that we, we need to be in, that he calls us to be in. And while those things may be difficult at the time, they are for our ultimate good. And you know, another example of this is Jonah. You, most of you may know the account of Jonah and what happened in you can read the book of Jonah, but God spoke directly to Jonah and told him to go and preach to the repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to obey. He didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh and preach repentance. He didn't like the Ninevites and he didn't want them to come to repentance. So he was really clever to try and get away from God and God's will. He jumped on a ship because God would never catch him there. Um, and he, you know, a ship that was going on the opposite direction to Nineveh. And, uh, you know, you could argue God could have used many ways to prevent Jonah getting on that ship, but he allowed him to, um, to bring a harsh, a harsh reality and harsh lesson to Jonah. You know, he got, as we know, he got on the ship, God brought a storm, Jonah ended up overboard, spent three days in the belly of a fish, which I'm sure was delightful. And, uh, you know, and eventually God then tells Jonah again, go and preach repentance in the city of Nineveh. And this time he did so. And, you know, the people in Nineveh came to repentance. But, um, you know, I think it would have been far easier for all involved if Jonah had just gone and preached repentance in Nineveh in the first place. But, um, you know, Jonah wouldn't have learned that harsh lesson, I guess, if, if God hadn't allowed him to to uh, foolishly try and think he knew better than God. And, and we wouldn't have the lesson, a valuable lesson ourselves in the Bible as well, if, if, that, if that hadn't have happened. Um, and another verse which I want to spend quite a bit of time looking at is Colossians 1, 9 to 10. It's part of what Kofi read uh, uh, a bit earlier, which says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think these couple of verses, you know, in regards to God's will, are a really, a really great couple of verses and quite a few reasons why, which we're going to have a look at now. I mean, the first one, Paul clearly understood how important it was for his fellow believers to know, to understand and to fulfill the will of God in their lives. And therefore he made an important part of his prayers to pray for them that they would come to this understanding. And then secondly, Paul refers to God's will as a spiritual understanding, which I think is significant. You know, under, truly understanding God's will and God's will for our lives is a spiritual matter. It's not a case of head knowledge. It's, it's something only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us and give us a true understanding of. You know, anyone can read the Bible, the words in the Bible, but to come to a true understanding of God's will, it, it takes the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, teaching to us. You know, it can't be truly just understood as head knowledge. I mean, you know, how often do we see people who, you know, they can demonstrate a great intellectual understanding of the word of God. They can quote scripture. They can have a great theological debate. But, you know, when it comes to applying those things to their lives and to actually seek the will of God and submit to it in their lives, there's clearly, 
you know, it's often can be lacking in practice, I guess is the way to put it. And you know, that's because simply intellectual head knowledge is not going to give you a true spiritual understanding, as Paul refers to it here. It's not it's not seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance and therefore it's it's useless knowledge really without the Holy Spirit. It's it's useless head knowledge. You know, and we're told in Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it's the renewing of our minds is what is, is important. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. And it's turning away from the things of the world and toward the things of God. And, you know, and since it's the Holy Spirit that, you know, renews our minds and sanctifies us, we need to be walking in the Spirit and we need to be submitting to his leading. And that's the only way we can submit to the will of God in our lives. And I think one thing that's so, so vital is having a reverent fear of the Lord. And I think that's what's lacking a lot of the time, especially with those who have this knowledge, but don't put it into practice. There's no fear of the Lord. It's, uh, it's quite clear in Proverbs 9.10, you know, a very well-known verse, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, it's a reverent fear of the Lord which will see us seeking his word and see us seeking spiritual understanding. And that includes an understanding of God's will. But we need that fear of the Lord to be able to do so. And then just coming back to the verse we're looking at in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, we're told the outcome or some of the outcomes of walking in the will of God. And it will be pleasing to him. Our lives will be and works will be fruitful for him, and we'll increase in the knowledge of God. You know, and aren't those things that all all believers really uh, really want? You know, we want to increase our knowledge of God. We want our works to be fruitful, and we want Him to be pleased with what we do. That's ultimately what more do we really do we really want? And it's only through the will of God that we can achieve those things. And just staying on to the letter. To the Colossian church, you know, in Colossians 4.12. It's quite similar in many ways to the verse we've been looking at. Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently, fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So as, as we looked at in our previous verse in Colossians, prayer we see the importance of prayer again and how important that is um, in fulfilling the will of God in our lives. And these verses also give us some more outcomes of, of fulfilling the will of God. You know, it says that we may stand perfect and complete. Um, you know, we're not, we won't literally be perfect or complete until we uh, dwell with the Lord in glory in eternity. But as much as it's possible to be perfect and to be complete in this life on this earth um it's only achieved through seeking god's will in our lives you know you look around the world many people seek to be perfect and complete through how they look or by trying to accumulate wealth or material goods or um, things and belongings or by having a successful job and career but none of those things make you perfect and complete it's only through a relationship with god that we can be stand perfect and complete and to submit seek his will for our lives and 
you know, the reason for this being that ultimately God wants to be glorified through our lives. And we can't be and he can't be glorified if we're simply seeking those other things that I've just talked about. In first Peter four eleven it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, so it's in God's interest, really, I guess you could say, for him to reveal his will to us. <laughs> because, you know, one thing is for sure, without him revealing his will to us, which is how we glorify him, you know, we certainly would be able, wouldn't be able to glorify him in our own efforts. You know, it, it wouldn't be possible in our own efforts. We'll grieve him. But through the Holy Spirit, we can bring glory through how we live our lives and conduct ourselves. And, and there's one thing when I was thinking about, when I was studying this and thinking about God's will, is a sort of, I guess, misconception a lot of people seem to have or an application of God's will that they seem to have for their lives, which is, They'll only really consider it in the context of maybe decisions or choices that they have to make. Who oh, is this? Is option A or option B going to be God's will for my life? And or in this circumstance? And you know, while obviously it's very important that we consider God's, uh, you know, consider God and His and His Word in in all decisions and all actions that we make, and in, and very importantly take those things to prayer. But you know. Sometimes there'll be decisions we need to make where all outcomes may be lawful in God's eyes and we maybe spend too much time procrastinating or dwelling over them when we don't need to. You know, think of I know, buying, a, buying a car as an example. You know, as long as you're wise and you apply biblical principles to in the process, you know, you're not looking, seeking a car that's going to be overtly prideful or in nature and you're not buying a car that's you know, far beyond your financial means where you're going to put yourself in unmanageable debt and not be a good steward of what the Lord has given you. And, you know, it's a car that's practical for your needs and for your family and for being able to serve others. You know, if you've applied those principles to your decision, God's not going to care which of the options you choose, <laughs> which the blue one, the red one, the fast one, the slow one. It's, you know, if you've been wise, then you know, choose one and get on with more important things, really, I guess. You know, God's will, the point I'm making is God's will has a form far more significant and overarching meaning in our lives than just making, you know, what decisions we make, you know, and choices we make. And obviously it is important what choices we make, but we often come to it with the wrong approach and the wrong um, the wrong way to to seek God's will, I guess, how, you, how I would say it. And... Um, you know, similarly, you know, we all want to know God's will and plans for all, for, you know, what, what's God's plan for my life for the next week, the next month, the next year. But God's not going to necessarily reveal all those things, you know, but we just got to live a life that's obedient to him and trust that, and trust that he's going to guide us and, and that we will fulfill those plans for us if we're obedient to him and his word, ultimately. And that's what we, that's what we want to be focusing on, um, and on a similar note, something else I wanted to mention is often when we're seeking confirmation of God's will or his guidance, we'll look for signs and various ways of confirming what might be God's will. And you know, to an extent, that's, that's good. And God will provide confirmations in, in various different ways. But at the same time, we need to be very discerning when we, when we sort of uh, take this approach. You know? 
if it's if if there's um something we're particularly there's maybe more of our will and our desires than God's, we might look for things that aren't necessarily there, you know. Oh, that person just said that one word in a in a conversation, that must mean that is God's will for my life. But you know, we'll we'll look for things that aren't necessarily there for our own purposes ultimately. So we do need to be very wise and discerning in those things. And I think one way that we do well, I'm probably guilty of it quite a lot myself and others probably as well, seek God's confirmation as if we feel at peace with a decision or an outcome, you know. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. I mean, I guess it depends on what your definition of peace is or what the, the peace you're seeking. And I'll clarify that with an example. I mean, say an opportunity arises where for you to share the gospel or reveal your faith, you know, an opportunity arises or presented by God. And, you know, there's two choices there. You know, you're going to reveal it, you're going to share the gospel, reveal your faith, or you're not. And, you know, in this particular circumstance, you may know that person, you may know full well that, it's not going to go down well. There's not going to be a good reaction from it. And it may lead to confrontation or mocking or some challenging questions. And, you know, the decision that might be the naturally tempting one in our own flesh to give us peace is to let the moment pass and avoid the awkward conversation or and maybe the challenging questions that come along with it. Um, but I would say in this situation, we're probably confusing peace with comfort. You know, we're, we're seeking, you know, we like in our flesh to make decisions that keep us in our comfort zone, that stop us from, you know, causing us hassle or stress or distress or anything. But, you know, ultimately scripture, that's not what it tells us to do. Take the easy option. This is contrary to how scripture tells us to live. I mean, Scripture, you know, God tells us to be bold in 2 Corinthians 3.12. It says, therefore, since we have such hope, which is our salvation, we use great boldness of speech. And God's word tells us that we are to live for Christ as followers of Christ. We don't live for ourselves anymore and for our own comforts. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, we no longer live for our own plans and desires and dreams. And, you know, so maybe maybe someone who's not a believer, well, that sounds a bit rubbish, doesn't it? But, you know, we, we live for God. We live in obedience to him. And we know in that his, he has perfect plans for us that are ultimately for our good. And we seek those plans in our lives and not our own fleshly desires and plans. And Jesus himself said during the Sermon on the Mount that we're to expect persecution. It says in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, really uh, popular popular verses to, to read and dwell on. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you take those things back to the example I gave, was, you know, the decision not to share the gospel of that difficult person being bold? No, it was the complete opposite. You know, did it, did it deny self and put Jesus first? No, because we purposely avoided completely mentioning his name and his work on the cross, you know, and did it bring about any persecution or reviling for his name's sake? Well, again, no, because we didn't mention his name. And, uh, 
you know, I'm not saying every decision we make for Christ and for God is going to bring about persecution, but the important thing is we are to make choices and decisions knowing that that could be the case. That could, it could bring about those things and, and to make them anyway. And ironically, I would say that is what should bring us true peace, knowing that we are being obedient, knowing we are making those decisions for God and being obedient to his word and you know, to the to the Lord who we love and who loves us and we're going to dwell with for eternity. Um, you know, we shouldn't ultimately fear hardships in this life because this life, as it says in the book of James, is but a vapour. And, you know, we know we have an eternity to come in glory where there won't be any more hardships, no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, but just, you know, pure bliss as we worship our lord for eternity so you know any hardships we may face in this life will be very quickly forgotten once we're there and we shouldn't fear those things and so as i'm coming getting towards the end i, I want to look at you know how you know, practice some practical examples i guess from scripture of god's will and guidance for us and i mean you don't have to open the bible and read very far to to come across practical guidance or instructions on how we're to live you know, and how not to live, just as importantly, to be in accord to live a life that's in accordance with God's will for us. You know, there's sort of dozens of passages and verses I could have sort of looked at and read through, but I've just picked a brief few. You know, that just show that if we do read and study the Word of God as we, as we're instructed to, and as we should, and as we should desire to, then we can't miss the will of God for our lives. At the end of the day, it's all there for us. And uh, in 1 Timothy 3.14, you know, Paul lists the character of a sinful man, of he who disobeys God and doesn't seek God's will for his life. And our lives should look contrary to, the, to this passage. It says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient of parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, quite a strong and comprehensive list there of ways we aren't to conduct ourselves. You know, Quite clearly, if, if, if we're falling into any of those categories, we aren't submitting to God's will. We're not being obedient to God in our lives. You know, those are the sinful pursuits of our past life that we've now put away we've now um, we're now no longer involved in you know it's the it's that's the conduct of those who are still in bondage to sin ultimately is what that verse is there and just on an interesting side note in this verse it says you know it's interesting that paul writes in the last days here before listing all those things and i i would say you don't really need to look very far um to see these sort of characteristics manifesting themselves throughout the world today is quite they're quite clearly evident and in, in, more and more in our face every every day and we're given more guidance in ephesians 4 29 to 32 which says let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here another comprehensive list, some positives of what we should be doing and some negatives of what we shouldn't. But I think it's, it's quite notable in this verse, in these verses and the ones we just looked at previously in 1 Timothy that much of God's guidance on how we are to live and conduct ourselves concerns our speech. You know, we're not to blaspheme, we're not to slander, we're not to speak corrupt words, we're to speak edifying words to others. Words that impart grace to the hearers. You know, it's our speech, our conduct and our speech are so important. And one more from Matthew 18, 21 to 22. This is where Peter is seeking some guidance from Jesus in, uh, in regards to forgiveness. And he says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You know, Jesus isn't saying you, you know, forgive someone 490 times and then stop. But, um, he's, he's saying that we are to be people who forgive. That's part of God's will for us, is to be forgiving people. And that's true forgiveness from the heart. It's not, you know, you can, anyone can say I forgive someone, but then carry bitterness in their heart and, and, uh, and carry a grudge. But that's not forgiveness. They're just empty words. It's, it's true forgiveness. That, and to forgive, really, just as we've been forgiven by the Father. We, didn't, we don't deserve the forgiveness we have, yet we, we've received it in any case. And God has forgiven us, and we should forgive others in the same way. You know, Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We are completely forgiven of our sin, and we should be able to forgive others likewise. And one final passage I just wanted to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. you know, I should have just read that, really. That, was a lot, that would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it? But, uh, you know, and if we were to live our lives based on these three verses alone, you know, we wouldn't go far wrong in living a life that glorifies God. You know, we are to rejoice always. You know, not just when things are good, when our circumstances are going as we like them to. You know, we're to rejoice because our, you know, our Creator in heaven, by His abundant grace and mercy, has called us to dwell with Him for eternity. You know, that truth never stops, and therefore our rejoicing should never stop, and it should naturally flow from us always, even when at time when things are difficult. We should still have that inherent joy, the joy of the Lord. We're to pray without ceasing. You know, which means we're to live a life in a spirit of prayer. We're to take all things to God, no matter how big or how small. We're to take them to him in prayer. And it should be a natural thing. Speaking to God should just be something that comes naturally to us. You know, he wants a relationship with us and he wants us to depend on him. And prayer is such an important and key part of our relationship with him. And it really, you know, turning to him in prayer in all circumstances demonstrates our reliance on him in all things. And in everything, give thanks. Everything we have is a gift from God. So we should give him thanks in, in all things, the thanks that he deserves. You know, even at times when things are going wrong in our life or we feel they're going wrong in our life, you know, ultimately nothing can separate us from the love of God and nothing can take away or steal away our salvation. And so there's never a time where we can't be thankful to God. You know, there's just, that's just a few verses I've looked at concerning God's 
you know, practical guidance, I guess, towards it, uh, his will for our lives. And there's so much more that you can see in Scripture. And that's just one or two verses. And in this context, Sam, I would encourage you to go and study in particular in your own private study time. One would be the book of James. It's a very practical book. You know, James uh, certainly pulls no punches. Uh, we've actually just, it's the last book we've just studied in our in our rooted study. And uh, there's a lot of good practical guidance on on how to live and conduct ourselves in that. And, um, and I'd say read the Sermon on the Mount as well. <laughs> Plenty in there where Jesus tells us how, how we are to live and conduct ourselves. And and the second half of the book of Ephesians is great as well. Ephesians 4 to 6. There's a lot of practical guidance on how we are to live and to glorify God in our lives as well. And you know, too, it's a it's a very big topic, really, the will of God. You know, what's God's will for our lives? And I guess, to put it, the simplest way I, I could think to put it, really, is to be obedient to him. You know, and that's through being obedient to his word, through which all other things will flow. You know, our love for God, our love for others, to serve in others, forgiveness, as we've talked about, our speech, our conduct, all those things will flow from being obedient to his word and knowing his word. And the other, as we talked about earlier, the other thing uh, that God wants us to do is to glorify him with our lives. And if we do the first, the second will follow. If we're obedient to him and obedient to his word, we will glorify him. It's as simple as that. And so I just want to close with two, two um, passages of Scripture that I think really de- emphasize the desire we should have to fulfill God's will and glorify him in our lives. First one being well-known one, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which is, Trust in the Lord of all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You know, we are to acknowledge him in all we say, in all we think, in all we do, and in all we are. We are to acknowledge God. And finally, to close, I just want to read Psalm 25, 4-5, which should be really words that flow from all of our hearts as believers. It says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, on you I wait all the day. They are, that should, they should be words that dwell and you know, flow from every, every one of our hearts every single day. We want to be taught by the Lord and we, and we want to wait on him all the day because he is worthy. Just let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you have revealed your will to us, Lord, clearly in your word, Lord, of how we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves, your plans for not just us individually, but your plans for all things, Lord, our eternal future, our eternal hope that we have, Lord, that you revealed to us to give us that joy and that peace during this life, that we have a glorious future to come, Lord, where we will dwell with you for eternity. That truth in itself should want us to be obedient to you, Lord, to seek your will for our lives and to glorify you. And I just pray as we all leave here today and come into a new week, Lord, that we would all seek to glorify you. Seek your will for our lives, Lord, in every moment, in everything we say, in everything we do. That we would just want to be people who radiate your love to others, Lord. 
who look different, who look different to the world and stand out, Lord. And, and that just that we can just honour you, Lord, through everything we do. So I would just ask that we all have a heart to do that as we leave, Lord. And we know we can only do it through your Holy Spirit. So I would ask that you just fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we come into this new week. And that you would present opportunities for us to share your name, to share our faith, to share the, the glorious news of the gospel that this world so desperately needs, Lord. So I thank you for this time, Lord. I just pray as we come into a time of worship and fellowship now that you would continue to be blessed and glorified through everything we say and do, Lord. And we just give you all the praise that your name deserves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.